Um, I want to first of all thank our sponsors this morning. We'd like to thank Evan Litton, who's sponsoring Le'il Nishmas Yocheved Bas Moshe Aryeh, his mother, whose yortzeit is Boi Bayom, is today itself. Also for the upcoming yortzeit of his grandfather, Menachem Mendel Ben Baruch Mordechai, this coming Tuesday on Yuzayin Batamos. It's uh, obviously a very special week for the Mishpacha, and this limud should be a continued zechus for the Neshamas. We'd also like to thank the Shulmans who are sponsoring um, for the past two weeks there's been the yard sites of Uriah Yehuda, ben, uh, I apologize, Arya Yehuda Ben Ephraim Fischel, that's uh, Mrs. Miriam Shulman's um, father, which was just passed, and also Lil Nishmas Harav Moshe Gedalia Ben Rav Yaakov Mordechai Halevi, that's uh, Mr. Lazer Shulman's um, father, whose yard site was also just recently. Thank you for being part of this, Ari Limut Shabili Nishmasayhem. So here we go. We're now. The coffee and cake. Oh, and there and there is food outside. So during the summer, we've, what we've been doing is we've been going through the Yud Gimel Ikarim, the thirteen <coughs> principles of faith. The past two summers, we did an introduction, and then we've got up to number eight. This summer, our goal is to be able to finish. All 13. So this is, a, this is a three-year project, and I'm very proud that we've been doing this all the way through. And the, the good news is, is that as we go further in the 13 principles, the more practical and understandable they become. So we're in a section where it's going to be a lot easier to access um, as, we, as we continue into the principles of faith. This is principle <laughs> number, number nine. I want to just take a quick, quick moment to, uh, to wish a huge mazel tov to Mr. Stephen Seif, who is celebrating Metz Hashem tomorrow, the bris of his little grandson, to Yaakov and Debbie, Metz Hashem, he should enter the Rizzo, Shal Avram, Avinu, Bo'itoi, with Manoi. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. So here we go. This is the ninth Ikara, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to try to use our minds to understand why this is so important for a moment. Here we go. What, what we generally do, and what we have done beforehand, is we look at the way it is, it is redacted in three places. The, the, as we know that the Ikarim, each of the principles of faith, was first written down by the Rambam in his introduction to the last Perek of Sanhedrin, Perek Chelek. Then thereafter, in the following <coughs> centuries, we saw it appear in different forms. One of them is what we say after davening, which is the Animamin, which is said, and every Siddur has the 13 Animamins, was not written by the Rambam himself. It was written by somebody a few centuries later, who's, who's turned that into almost a tefillah, part, becomes part of the liturgy. And finally, also just a little later than that, is Yigdal. The 13 lines of Yigdal, each relating to one of the 13 principles of faith. So let's look at each of those three versions. In this case, they're not very different. But um, nonetheless, um, this is how it is framed. The Ramam in his Pirush Mishnah says the following. The Yesoid Hatish'i Habitol. The ninth one is nullification. Vuhu Shezua Torah Moshe Loitevatel. This Torah of Moshe will not be annulled. It will not be made empty. We are not going to have a second Sinai. There's not going to be another Torah given. No one is going to add anything to it explicitly or implicitly. The Torah says explicitly, you're not going to add mitzvahs, you're not going to detract mitzvahs. And I already talked about this in the introduction of, to this essay, says the Rambam. 
So we're not allowed to add on to the Torah. The way it's expressed after davening on the right hand side is, I believe with a, a pure faith, this Torah will not be exchanged. And there will be no other Torah from Hashem. Blessed be He. The way we said in Yigdal is Hashem will not switch. He will not interchange His das, His religion, forever for something else. If you ever wonder what that verse meant, this is mean to say Hashem is never going to change the Torah. Why is this an important ikar? Let's let, uh, before we even look at anybody else, before we delve into it, why is this so significant for the sustaining of Judaism? Logically, why, why is this a necessary fundamental? This is a little easier to access than talking about, you know, trying to understand the infinity of God. Okay, so with the, in the earlier ones, it was a lot, a lot harder to actually put our fingers onto it. Why is this? Tachlis, why is this? New Testament, New Testament. Because if we look at history, if we look at history, history is replete with people who felt that yes, God did change his mind a little bit. God decided that, you know what, maybe we can add on. Maybe there is something which is a little different. Maybe there's a little less. Maybe there's a little more. Examples. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, logically speaking, it would also make a lot of sense. Meaning, empirically, God doesn't change his mind in this respect. Meaning, there are times where God does pivot positions. Where you see, for instance, by regarding to like specific people. There were people like, let's say, for instance, Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech had a potential to succeed. He didn't succeed and Hashem pivoted away from him, right? As an individual. But the notion that God has, cho has a chosen people and then they become a rejected people... Is, uh, is almost inconceivable in the notion of the greatness of God, right? Meaning it diminishes God if God sort of said, well, you know, that, you know it, was a good, it was a good trial run, but those Jews, <laughs> they're just a real pain. You know, like meaning that, 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 that's, that's belittling God's omnipotence, as you're saying, which is a very, very good point. That's the point that you're making in this past week's parsha. Initially, God tells Bilaam not to go. Ultimately, okay, you want to go, Okay, you're right. So there's a, there's a lot to be talking about. When it comes to the Bilam saga, there's a lot to be talked about as to what God's sort of plan B was with Bilam. He clearly says to him, whatever I'm going to tell you to say, you're going to say. Right? So he's so, sort of, it's Hashem sort of making space for this free world creation to do what he wants, but not really do what he wants. It's like the way it's described, the way that some of the Mephoshim say, it's like you're going on a trip on a boat and you're, let's say, you're on a, great, a large cruise ship. You have the choice... Well, maybe some depends on what tier of uh, access you bought. But you, you, have the, you, have, you have the choice to walk anywhere in the boat, but you don't have a choice to go where the boat, to steer the boat, right? The boat's still going to its final destination. So Bilam was given a little more access onto a different deck of the boat, but the boat was still going to where Hashem wanted it to go. So like, you're right, the, but the, that wasn't so much of a change of mind. It was Hashem saying, well, you know, poor human being who wants to express his free will, I'll let him express a little more freedom to go to the upper deck, but, you know, the boat's still arriving. Part of is to get God to change his mind? Great question. Right? Great question. So how does that tefillah operate on God? Does, does, does Hashem really change his mind? 
very, very important question that we need to, we need to address. I don't want to do it on one foot because it's so, it's so complex. The Mepharshim debate exactly that point. So, so what, what exactly is your presentation happen, doing every morning, afternoon, <coughs> and evening? We believe in the fact that we're trying to think that filler works. If filler works, then ultimately if plan A was there, then play, plan B is attainable because we... Right, but it's not, not, so, not so clear. There's actually different Mahalchim in this. I think in this case over here, what we're saying is, just to, just to be clear, is that the Torah... Thank you so much. Thank you. This is very necessary this week. Um, um, <laughs> the, the, Torah, the, the Torah itself, as a system, is not going to be changed. I mean, say the rules of the game are not going to change. Apparently, within the rules, Tefillah is working within the rules. Apparently, Bechir Achoshis is working within the rules. Right, so there's certain parameters within the system. What we're saying is now, is that the system itself doesn't change. Hashem's not going to renew the whole system. So let's, say, let's take examples, very specific examples throughout history of how, how the, where this actually happens. Christianity. Remember at the time of the turn of the, 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 we'll call it the century or the millennium in the common era way of measuring it. Um, they were, at the end of the second temple time, there were many sectarian groups. There were many different groups in Judaism. And, um, and when we talk about the Beis Amigdash, the second Beis Amigdash being destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, it doesn't, just, doesn't mean to say that you know, you, you people used to park in each other's driveways. What it, 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 what it means to say is that there, there was so much splintering of fa and factionalism within Judaism that there, there were really different groups that were actually seceding from the main party and there was no ability to, for anybody to bring them back together. One of those groups was Christian Jews. Okay, so people who followed this, uh, this messiah, this false messiah called, called Yoshka, right? Now, there happened to be many others, and most of them failed. Most of them were killed, right? So, the, exactly. This is, this is the original Jews for Yoshka, um, uh, um, we'll call it Take One. And what happened was, is that after his death, a lot of people congregated around his cause, and slowly but surely seceded from Judaism. And the, the signs of the, the hairline fractures of where you know that this was going wrong was exactly the point that the Ramah was talking about over here. Here's an example in the book of Hebrews. <coughs> this is part of the New Testament because, of course, they didn't, they didn't, the Christianity did not deny the Old Testament. The Old Testament still remained the Old Testament, just there's now a new part to it. Now God's got a new vision of reality. So the book of Hebrews, which is specifically meant to address the Hebrews, starts <coughs> off the following in chapter 1. We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we, we have heard, so that we do not drift, uh, drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. It actually happened to be only one person, but nonetheless. God also testified to its signs, wonders and miracles, and by his gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So meaning to say that God has had this incredible revelation, and if we're going to ignore it, we're ignoring God now. Now, how does that take place? So we go a few chapters later. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, we share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts upon Yoshka, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Yoshka was found, found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So you see what happens over here? Over here? Yes, there was Moses, and he was great. He was really, you know, uh, the, the, the MVP of the Torah, right? But in the end of the day, now we have a new, a new fellow who came onto the scene, and he's even greater. So then the red flag starts, starts waving, and the Ramah says, 
Lo yamir dasoi. Hashem is not going to change the Torah. The Torah says, Lo kam kamoshe od noviu mabit. There's no one else. The Torah says there isn't. There's not going to be another Moses. So what Christianity is saying over here is we already start seeing that Christianity is saying, yeah, well, that's true. There was a Moses, but, right? So the so Ram says, no, God doesn't change his mind. There's no buts, ands, ifs, parentheses, asterisks, footnotes. It's, that's it. There's nobody else who's going to come along and tell us anything different. Similarly, in the year 50 AD or CE, in common era, there was a council of Jerusalem which was held, and this was the, Christi- this was the, 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 the original Christian <coughs> council which was trying to decide how the rules of Christianity would look. Here is an ex- this is a quotation from it. It is my judgment, therefore, from James, that, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from the food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. So what are they doing? They're saying, look, there are lots of people. We have, we have two constituencies. We have Jews, Hebrews, and we have those on the outside, the pagans who are looking to come towards Judaism. But the Judaism that they're seeing is too hard to access. So what we're going to do is we're going to now lower the bar of what it means to be a Jewish Christian at this point in time. We're going to take away a lot of the big things, and we're going to focus more on the morals and the values, and a few of the <coughs> remaining, we'll call it, core components. So this is exactly, what, what's happening over here is exactly what the Ramam is talking about. This is why this is such a key factor in our, in our faith, is that, no, there's, there's, the, the 613 don't change. They're immutable. There's no <coughs> point in time where we say, okay, well, we're going to change the bar, and access is going to be denied. And again, this is, these are just like, you know, I'm certainly no, no, no scholar in Christianity, but these are overt examples of where this, uh, where this occurred in history. Later on, this, this, now, Islam, it's not exactly the same. With Islam, Islam did not build itself on the basis of the Old Testament. Islam, in fact, claimed that most of the Old Testament was abrogated, so that it wasn't... When, when Muhammad made up the Quran, he, uh, he, what he basically d- said was that he consulted with pagans and a number of Jewish tribes, but the, but the, the audience to his, of, of, his, of his speaking was, in fact, pagans. It wasn't the Jews. His first, his first move when he took over Medina was to either exile or kill the five Jewish tribes there. Okay, so he, he wasn't was speaking to Jews. He didn't want the Jews, but he took their advice when creating the Quran. And what he did was he took sections of the Bible. So there's 12, you know, Hashem says to Yishmael, you're going to have 12 princes. That part of the Torah is true. The rest of it is actually a mistake. It was actually Yishmael went up on the arcade and not Yitzchak and all the different parts that he sort of extracted. So he wasn't really building a base on the Torah itself. It, it's so, so far flung, so different to what the Torah, the Torah is. It isn't the same as the New and the Old Testament um, in the same sense of what the Rambam is saying over here. Nonetheless, Later on in history, Jews, Judaism has been plagued by numerous, numerous false messiahs throughout the history. Really terrible incidents throughout history. Um, and we're going to maybe look at that a little bit closer when we get to the principle of Messiah, when we get into that, that principle which is coming up in the next few weeks. Nonetheless, um, the, one, one of the most destructive examples of a false messiah in history was a person by the name of Shabtai Tzvi in the 1600s. Shabtai Tzvi, as we're all familiar, was a, person, was a Jew. And uh, what he did was he, he gathered such a following, believing, telling people in the year 1648, which was a year prophesied to, uh, have, uh, to, that the Messiah would come. He was at the ripe age of 22 at the time. Obviously a very charismatic person. People suggest that he might have been bipolar. He had these episodes of re- real, you know, active and um, charismatic times where he, he got, got quite a following wherever he went, where it was Salonika, across the, the, the Western, Eastern Europe, and then finally the pal- area of Palestine. He was a very, very powerful person. Um, and the, the warning flag was that he started changing things. 
as there was the case in most of the false messiahs, he started saying, well, things are not, you know, you know, we don't, he, he, he had a, famously, he had a, a marriage to a Sefer Torah. He married a Sefer Torah, if, if I'm not mistaken, in Salonika. You know, he, um, he used to do all kinds of very strange things based on Kabbalistic ideas, which is why later on Kabbalistic prolific, prolification became such a danger, because it was used by these people um, again, to, to uphold their, their, their miracles and, and their showmanship, which garnered a lot of support. Um, he started doing things like, which is very famous among false messiahs, to say, well, the fast days have been abated. We're no longer going to fast on the 10th of, uh, of Teves because, you know what? Now Hashem is bringing us into the next stage of, uh, of, um, of existence. We're now in the next step. Uh, some of the false messiahs, I don't believe Shabtatsi himself, said that milk and meat fade away as we start entering into the times of Messiah. When you start seeing things like that, that's what allowed the rabbis of the time to realize, based on this principle of faith, there was a line crossed. The Messiah is not going to do that. Right? The Ramah says very clear the Ramah, the, that the, the Mashiach is not going to change the law. These people did change the law. And that was already the, the indication that as fantastic and as incredible as these people were, they weren't correct. They, were, they, they had crossed the line. Eddie. To the people who say that there's not going to be carbonos in the third base of Mikdash. Good question. Good question. It's a much bigger discussion because you need to read. You know what? What does it actually mean? You know, when our cook talks about these kind of things, and what does it really, really mean? Much, <coughs> much bigger discussion. You're right. We're going to get into machloikas in a moment because there's a whole big problem with this. We're going to see in just a second. Later, example. Yes. Uh, oh, I, I, getting back to the last section before we go on. One of the, the fundamental claims of, of Christianity is the new and everlasting covenant. The Jews have been replaced. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not so clear what they were using to convince an argument. Obviously, in, in, in the Chumash, we have many examples where Hashem says, Moshe, forget these people, I don't need them, I'll continue through you. So they could say, well, there is precedent for Hashem abandoning the Jewish people, and now the time has come now to uh, exercise this abandonment. I mean, they have to use some basis to say that the... Uh, that the relationship between Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is now abandoned. <coughs> you're right, you're right. So they, 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 and they did use that, by the way. Yeah. So again, I'm not speaking from an expert in Christianity, but from the, the, little, the little bit of Torah that, I, that, that I've had the privilege of learning, um, I, uh, I, w- I would say that you're right. The only problem is, is that prophecy ceased a good uh, 400 years before this happened. Which means to say that God, if God had something important to tell us, <laughs> he should have told us beforehand. Meaning, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? To say, like, prophecy ceased at the times of the beginning of the second Besamidash, at the times of Anshay Knesset Zagdullah. Now suddenly, boom, so in walks Mr. Um, Mr. Special, who says he's the son of God, and now he's a prophet, and, he's, and, and here now we've got a new, a, new, a new testament. You're right that such precedents may have existed, but by the time that God stopped communicating overtly with humanity, that hadn't happened. So now, so, right? So I mean, you say, and, and that's number one. That, that, that's not relating even to the Ramams, the Ramam himself. That's just, that's just historically speaking. In terms of what the Ramam himself <coughs> says over here, that's a good question. Meaning to say, it sounds like that, the, that once the Torah was sealed, the Torah, the five books of Moses, then nothing could change from that. That was a potential within that. Uh, we don't know if Hashem was saying that in order for Moshe to, to respond. Again, it's hard, it's hard to know, but you're right. That, that precedent was used, was capitalized by Christi- early Christianity. Nonetheless, uh, a little more complex. Um, Little 
if, 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 the, if Christians are using the Old Testament as a basis to build upon, you know, the New Testament, you know, unlike the, the Islam, which does which, 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 mm -hmm. which, which not so much says, in the Old Testament it claims, it says, you know, he neither has a, a, a brother or a son. You know, it, it, that's what it says in, mm -hmm. in, in, mm -hmm. you know, in Navi, you know, regarding God. So mm -hmm. how, does, how do they reconcile, you know, the... the you know, if, if they're using, if they're not abrogating, they're not saying that the Old Testament doesn't exist anymore, you know, which, which is... No, you're right, you're right. Uh, that's, a, that's a question more on Christianity than Judaism. So I'm not going. I'm not going to address that right now. But you're right. They, they, this is all dealt with. There's a lot of. There's a lot of literature on this. Um, David. David's definitely got a, a lot of. Uh, a lot of background on that for anybody who's interested afterwards. Um, there's a. There's a. There's a. There's a lot to this, and there was a lot of scholarship on this. Um, on this particular issue, um, and I, I'm not. I'm not so interested in. In the way that they argue this, because there were very intelligent people who argued on behalf of Christianity. I'm just going to point out that the Ramam. The Ramam is, is, is telling us. And a very important rule, which has clearly been violated throughout history numerous times, to our loss. We lost many people and many um, to, to this faith. That's, that, that's, that's all I want to point out over here. Other examples, we're not, I'm not going to go through all of them. There's, there's numerous, numerous false messiahs. There were people later on called the Frankists, after Jacob Frank in Europe. He would, by the way, many of these people claim to, claim to be reincarnations of... Shabtai Tzvi, right? That's, that, was how da that was how damaging it was. There were numerous reincarnations of Shabtai Tzvi who continued to hold the flag. There was later on, Yemen itself was plagued by numerous false messiahs. Even in the late um, 1800s, there was a fellow called uh, Yehuda ben Shalom who turned his name to Shukir Kahayal, who became a false messiah. And there were many, many people. And again, all of them, if you read the history about all of them, w where do they gain credence? They gain credence by doing all kinds of fancy things, all kinds of miracles. And then they started changing the writs. They started saying, well, you know, in the end of the day, by the way, just to appreciate this, Shabtatsi converted to Islam. The Sultan presented him with a very difficult decision. And that was either you remove your head or you remove your yamulka. And he decided to, he decided to remove his yamulka. And he became, he became Muslim. And how did he explain that? His followers followed him. Many, many people, hundreds of people followed him into Islam. He explained that because he said that part of the notion of Kabbalistic, the Kabbalistic idea of going into the Shiraz HaKalim, of the broken vessels, into the darkest corners is what I'm doing. I'm going to now exhume all the darkest parts of this universe from the world of Islam. But wait a second, but the Torah says you can't do that, right? So that's the problem, right? Meaning when, when you start saying, well, things have changed, that's when the problems begin. So uh, the, the, again, this is an example throughout history. Though that, this is what, historically speaking. I'm actually more interested, philosophically speaking. There's this, this, to me, there's something which over here which, is, which I feel like I myself struggled with for many years, and I'd like to just articulate the struggle um, as it relates to this. Because it sounds like we ourselves do this. Here's, here's how. In the, um, the, the, one of the sources of this, of, the, of this, this precept, it wasn't, the Ramam did not make this up, right? The Ramam did not suddenly one day say, you know, well, retrospectively we want to, you know, negate Christianity, right? The Rambam is, is talking about basic principles. The Rambam goes to, the, in, as an example, a Midrash in Source 8. The Midrash says in, in Parashas Nitzavim, um, That's the, the, the beginning and ending of that Pasuk. Hashem says, this mitzvah, which I'm giving you, is not me'ever le'yomhi, right? It's not far from you. It's, uh, it's not in the heavens, right? It's, but it's, it's close to you. That's what the Pasuk tells us. So the Midrash says, Moshe. Don't ever say that there's going to, you know, Hashem gave us Torah version A. And there's another one in the closet upstairs. Right? There ain't nothing left up there. 
Don't think that there's, you know, where, when reality changes, God's going to pull out plan B, uh, you know, blueprint, the second blueprint for, for reality. Loi ba shamayim, here's what the Midrash says. This is, the, this is the, one of the sources the Ram is ca- capitalizing on in understanding this thing. And that's exactly what he says. Here's what the Ramam says in Yilchus Yusodah Torah. The Ramam, remember, when he's talking in, his, um, when he describes the asserting principles, it is not in his halachic work. It's on his pirush on the Mishnayos. So he's explaining the Mishnayos, and he talks about these asserting principles. What he does is later on, at the end of his days, he codifies them in his Yad. The Yad is his 14 books of Halacha, the Mishnah Torah, where he summarizes all of Torah, including belief systems. And in Hilchos Yesodei Torah, he codifies all the 13 principles of faith in various places. Here's how he codifies us, La Halacha, how we're supposed to believe. In the first Halacha, he says, umfurash batorah. It is clear, it is explicit in the Torah. Shehi mitzvah that it is a continual and everlasting commandment. It will not have any change, any detraction or um, addition. It is, it is not going to be detracted. You cannot do this. Who is the audience of this Pasuk? Who is, me, who is the audience of this Pasuk that Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about over here? It won't be changed. You should not change it and you should not add or detract. Who's the audience? Us, the Jews, right? We're not allowed to change the Torah. The Ramam is saying the halacha of not adding to the Torah, detracting from the Torah, is as a function of this principle of faith. Meaning there's a finite mitzvah which is stemming from this principle of faith. Just to appreciate the difference between a principle <coughs> and between the commandments. Okay, he says, the explicit one, the explicit mitzvahs are to us and our children forever. La Asois is called Direa Torah Azois. Hola Maritor says the Ramam we see from here. The commandments are forever. It is an eternal statute for all generations. It's a, no, no, no prophet is ever going to renew anything. Says the Ramam. Therefore, let me give you some guidance. If you're going to have a somebody, even a very charismatic somebody, who is Jewish or is not Jewish, who's going to arrive, and will do something fantastic, a whole fireworks show. And you know what? I actually happen to have privy information from God myself that you're going to know, you no longer need to do X, Y, Z. In fact, there's going to be an addition. You need to do A, B, C. Or they're going to say, you know what, this, the mitzvah means, you know, something else. Or they're going to say, say that, it, that, that, um, that it wasn't everlasting. It was just a time mitzvah at, uh, for a particular era. We can therefore ascertain by his arguments that he is automatically a false prophet. Because he's contradicting what Moses said. Kill him immediately. How do we know he's a false prophet? Not because he doesn't produce great things. These people are all very powerful people. They obviously have got a lot of power, meaning some of these people really could do amazing things. That's, that's not, the, the, that's not the, the credence. The question is, is what do they say? If they say anything against the Torah, they've automatically crossed this line. They are now Baltoises, they are Baltigra, and automatically we know that they're false. Then there's nothing to talk about. In fact, they are liable for death. 
That's what the, the Ramam says. This is the halacha based on the Pesukim in, in, in Sefer Dvarim about how we notice false prophets. They cannot add, they cannot detract. This is, this is something so obvious. Anybody who, anybody who even argues with the Rambam when it comes to what the principles of faith are, how many, how little, this is, this is a mitzvah. This is, not, this is not a principle of faith even. This is just basic you know, meat and potatoes of Judaism. Um, so here, here we go. Yes. Has there been any particular person in the history of Tanakh, from the king's own, that was killed because he brought a false property? Um, great question. Great question. Offhand, I'm not, not aware of that. And how about the kings themselves that went to Abed Uh Achav and, and, and Great and question. Great question. Great question. Great question. Um, so the, there happens to be a difference between adherence and actually prescribing, meaning I don't believe that Achav necessarily changed the Torah, he just didn't adhere to the Torah. So was he liable for death? Yes, and that's why he got killed in battle. And that's what the prophet said to him, right? But in the end of the day, he wasn't, re- he wasn't pre- presenting, you know, package 2.1. Um, so I, you're right. We can think about there are were false prophets that we know about. I'm not personally aware of um, the, the consequences being exacted. The, what I want to focus on just for a quick moment is the following. The Ramam is quoting a Medrash as one of his pro foundations over here, which sounds remarkably familiar. He says that he quotes the Pasuk, which we just saw in the Medrash, which says, It is not in heavens. Now that should ring a bell. Why, why does that sound familiar to us? Great. So it happens to be that that's not the only time that that pasuk has been used in 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 in, um, in our Talmud in our in Jewish thought. <coughs> happens to be that that pasuk of is used in a different way, it would seem. In fact, almost in a contradictory manner, in the Gemara in Baba in a very famous story that we all know. We taught, touched on just a few weeks ago, and that is is in the in the, the story of the Tanur Shel Achnai. Um, which appears in Baba Metziah Daf Nun Tesamabes. Just to appreciate this, the, the Kesev Mishnah, the Rav Yosef Karo, on this Ramam actually sends us to this Gemara. So he says, yes, we're, we're right in hearing that, that, that resonance. But the problem is that this Gemara seems to be saying almost the opposite of what we just said. Because here, here's how it goes. What happens is there's, a, there's this dispute about this, this, the, this particular oven. Ovens in those days were not the things you get at appliance stores. Ovens are really like a... a uh, more of a, like an earthenware container. The pots would go either on the inside, well, the, on the top, or you could put things in the inside of it where the fire was, and the fire would be the heat would be contained. And the problem is like this: is that earthenware is a particularly complicated um, item in the household because of tumor. If a, it, as opposed to let's say glass, as opposed well, glass is more complicated as opposed to metal, when it, where where if you have something which is impure, there's ways of extracting the tumor or changing it. Generally speaking, with um, when it comes to earthenware. Earthenware has a bit of a problem. Once it becomes tame, there's one solution which can be found, and that is break it, right? So um, Greek style, right? So, so uh, in the end of the day, how what, what would happen if your your oven became impure? You would have to break it, right? You, you can imagine when we lived with the sensitivity to tumentara, our whole life would have been very different. You know the way that we would have operated, and obviously earthenware was cheap to produce and very useful. So this is this is a very big shyness. So what happens to the following? What happens if you had an oven which became impure, but you broke it and you reconstituted it? So now, I mean, say like this, you break something, you reconstitute something. Because you broke the earthenware, the tumor was now exhumed. It, it, it disappeared, right? So if I now reconstitute it, it should be fine. What happens if I reconstitute it in a way which is a little more permanent? So I put sand between the parts. Right, so this becomes a little bit of the discussion of Tano Shal Achnai. So have I, you know, is this really... Is it, if I make the oven to be broken and reconstituted, so have I, is, is that kind of a loop in the system? Have I, how did I, how did I, have I got rid of the tumor? Is it really broken? Is it really fixed? 
Right, this is the question that, 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 that was occurring in the base of Midrash. The Gemara tells us in Source 11, what is It was like a serpent. And they had a long discussion. They encircled this discussion. The rabbis encircled this discussion like a snake would sort of, you know, its prey, so to speak, and made it to Tame. They felt that this was, that it did not lose its status of being Tame, even though it was broken. But Atana, um, but there was an argue, There was the, the greatest of all the Chachamim, Rabbi Eliezer Agadol. Rabbi Eliezer was the, the the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, who was on the base din, said that it is in fact it, it was it was um, it was Tahar, and he brought all the answers, he brought all the suggestions in the world, but they didn't listen to him. He says, if the halacha is like me, let this carob tree prove what happens. The carob tree uprooted itself and moved either a hundred or four hundred amos. They responded, Sorry, cannot listen, we don't listen to carob trees. He looked outside the window and he said, you see that brook, you see that stream. That stream will prove. The stream flew uphill. We can't bring a proof from the canal. If it is true what I'm saying, if God accepts what I'm saying, let the very walls of this building collapse. They started, they started moving towards, they started collapsing. The opponent of Rabbi, of Rabbi Eliezer grew angry at the walls and he turned to them. What have you got to do, walls, with our arguments over here? It says, They remained in a tilting position because they didn't, in honor of Rabbi Yeshua, they would not fall. In honor of Rabbi Eliezer, they would not straighten up. That's the, the end of this Machlach. Rabbi Eliezer was not finished. He said, If I'm correct, that God tell you directly that I'm correct in this argument. Hashem himself, God, the clouds open up, the voice. God says, Rabbi Eliezer is correct. And the Chachamim responded, Rabbi Yeshua stood up and confidently said, It is not in heaven's hands. That is unbelievable. The most remarkable Gomorrah. Now here's the problem over here. Let's think about this for just a second. We've just finished saying that the whole notion of the fact that the Torah is not going to change is because Hashem is not keeping any extra Torahs in the closet upstairs, right? That's it. It's done. It's empty. It's here. But if that's true, then all these Chachamim are now arguing and deciding against heaven, right? Of what to do about it. Okay, so you said the bus call was a low form. Before, before suggestion, just let's appreciate how painful this is for a second. This is terrible. Okay, so now we have, throughout all the generations, anybody who's arguing, any, if you think about this, let's say you have a dispute between two sages, like there's a machloikas between two people. Isn't, isn't that, let's say there's a, there's a halach, is a tome, is a tohar. They're machloikas. Let's say you're on the side of being tohar. That means to say that you believe the other person is actually adding on to the Torah, right? Or the other person on the Tommy side, he is detracting from the Torah, right? <coughs> With the same license of Loi Bashomayimhi that we are given the license to change the Torah. But aren't we not supposed to change the Torah? Wasn't that how Christianity erupted? Wasn't that what happened with Shabtai Tzvi? How, where do we stop this? Where do we draw the line? How do we say that well, all these disputes that we're having, Tommy Tar, Asa Mutar, all these things are not 
in any way related to what Christianity was doing. After all, they were also being mekil. They just said, you know, the bar of entering Yadus is a little different. So what's the difference between this? It, it's, it's just simply the, the, you know, called the scope of, of the argument. But at the end of the day, they, they also had, a, had, had the right to say, had, had a machlekas about what they saw fit in the parameters of Judaism. You see the problem over here? From the same, the same pasuk, that we are given the license to change it. So how much are we allowed to change? That's the problem. So Baruch is saying, Baruch's suggestion is, is maybe a bus call is a lower level of, of communication of God. Did they, did they okay, good. So let's, let, let, let's, I want to think in those lines for a second. I mean. Okay. Okay, good. So let's, so here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a starting point. What was that? Okay, good. So, so let, 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 let's, I want to take a step back and just for the sense of appreciation over here. What may, what may seem obvious, sometimes it's not always so obvious um, at the start, and that is, is basically, just we're going to get this down to like the core issue, is that it sounds like that the Torah Sheba Alpeh, the oral Torah, as opposed to the written Torah, the written Torah seems to be very clear, right? It's, it's prescribed, we know what the letters are, we know how, what the words look like, there's been a tradition as to what it looks like. I heard actually Rav Ruven Leichter once say, that part of the reason why we're so hard on Bar Mitzvah boys, you know, like you can have somebody who's like learning the Torah for the first time and everybody's jumping in, is because ingrained in our tradition is this notion of this, the, what, what, of what, uh, what this and the previous, um, what the previous um, ikar is, is that nothing changes, right? That's a little, the, the Torah Shabbat Sav, we're so clear that it, nothing changes, is what, what Chazal called Munach Bukufsa. It's, it's in the corner, there's nothing else. The problem is the Torah Shabbat Peir seems a little bit of an expansion, right? The Torah Shabbat Peir sometimes seems like it's, got, it's extending, extending, extending. You know, like Hanukkah, Purim, you know, the fact that we don't blow Shofar on the second day on, on, on Rosh Hashanah if it falls in Shabbos. They do all these kind of things. So, like, if they're doing all these kind of things, it sounds like there's a little bit of flux in the system for change. But we're just told that there's no change, even in the Torah Shabbat Peir, in the, the, what the Ramam called Beferush. <coughs> So if that's true, what, what, really, what really we should think about is, is what is the Torah Shabbat Peh? Meaning, a very basic question, but what is the Torah Shabbat we, we discussed this in num numerous times in the past. But here's the, here, just one a quick summary. Not all Torah Shabbat Peh is the same. And this is where people, this is where people get, get, get confused, and this is why people make um, faulty assertions. There are three parts of the Torah Shabbat Peh, in fact. The Ramah actually um, expands it to five in a different place, but there are three parts, three primary parts of the Torah Shabbat Peh. This is the Rabbi Minhilchos Mamrim. Very, very, very worthwhile just to read through. It's, it's eye-opening. The Rabbi says the following. Let's take a look on the top of page 6. This is Aloha Beis in Hilchos Mamrim Perek Aleph. The Rabbi says, he talks about how the base in Agodal is the power which decides all of, all, all of Torah Shabbat Peh. Um, and then he says in Aloha Beis, at the, sec the top of the second paragraph, anybody who disagrees with the base in Hagodal, you cannot veer from what they said right or left. It is not a, um, you don't get lashes for this particular love for, for a particular halachic reason. Any, any sage who disagrees with the base in Agadol is liable for death. In a very complicated area of halacha about a Zok and Mamre, which uh, the, the Ramam is referring to here. Now he says, and it doesn't make a difference which part of the Torah Shabal Peh. Now, here he says it. Whether it be something which they heard from, what Shmua? <coughs> Shmua means literally? The, they, they, the hearing. That's yeah. something that they heard from where? Tradition. From their parents. From their parents' parents. <coughs> from their parents' parents' parents. Right? So there's whether that part of Torah Shabal Peh which they heard. Right? Right? 
or whether it be something which they expanded upon, meaning they used the tools of the Torah itself to expand it, or or whether the things they made offense for the Torah for. The Chachamim are given license to, to talk about three things. Number one, to transmit tradition. <laughs> Number two, to expand the Torah, to darshan it with the tools of the Yud Gimel Midos, so that the Torah nidreshes Bohem. And number three, to make siyagim, to make fences. This example, what's an example of a shemua, of a tradition? What's an example of something which was transmitted um, via, from Sinai as the Torah Shabal Peh? All measurements. All measurements is an example, right? Meaning to say, what, 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 what the basic measurements of kezayis as eating, meaning how do we know what the basic unit of eating is? Kezayis, the kebetza, the ama, these are, all, these are all traditions, which is why there's no dispute in Judaism as to what they are. There's a dispute today as to how they translate into inches. But the fact that an ama is an ama is something which was, which was given to us at Sinai. Another example. What's another example of something which was a tradition from Sinai? Right, so the twillin being black, the twillin being square. Other examples are, uh, at, we talked about yesterday, the pre eight Hadar being an esrog. Right, uh, uh, the, nobody disputes that. That's because when Hashem gave the Torah Shabich Sav, He gave us the written Torah, He also said to us at the time, He said to Moses, who told Yeshua, told the Zakanim, that this is what it means. So it wasn't like we, need, we didn't do any thinking, we just did transmitting with that, right? That's why it's, it's all the same, we all know that. How do we know that, that, that Shabbos is an example? How do we know that, uh, that when the God says that don't work on the seventh day on the pain of death, how do we know, how do we know what it's talking about? So because we know that the 39 Malachos are learned from Mishkan. the Mishkan, but where do we know that from? That was, that, that was what God said, I mean, you can imagine, you know, the Torah was given on a, on a Shabbos, right? So you can imagine, they have six days to work this out, right? They didn't know this, right? Before, before all of them die, before doing anything, right? So clearly they must, God must have told them what to do, right? So obviously He did. He gave them Torah Shabbat Sav, and He gave them Torah Shabbat Peh, to understand this. So that was, that, was a that was a tradition. Then there were the parts which weren't explained so much. So what's an, an example of something which wasn't explained so much? Something which was expounded as an example. Where they took, where they took the, 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 the middos of the Torah and they used that to expound on things. Oh, what was that? So, well, so there's many, many examples. So like, what was that? Yes, yeah, so there's many, many, many examples. There's, well, like just, some of those middos, we say them in the morning just before Mizmosh Shir Chanukah The notions are Kal V'Chaymer, right? Binyan Av. Klal Prato Klal. These are used in the Gemara in many, many instances where these are logical parameters that the Torah says itself. We are transmitted. They are part of the oral package. Hermeneutical. Right? The hermeneutical tools. I love that word. Um, it was, uh, what it really is is that it was almost like at Sinai they were given the written Torah, the oral Torah traditions of understanding it, and the toolbox. And if you open the toolbox now, you can now use the tools to understand what the Torah really wanted under certain circumstances. And you can apply those to expand a whole new set of parameters, which is what the, the, the middle set is. And then finally, the third set is um, Gedarim. We'll call them fences. An example of a fence. Where's an, what's an example Nasser, of a fence? That's a cost of a Torah. Muktza is an example on Shabbos. Muktza is not derived. Muktza is where Chachamim said in order to prevent us in getting more involved in, in, in transgression of Shabbos, let's do Muktza, according to many, a Ruvin, as an example. There are many, there are many, many examples of where, there was a, where, where the Chachamim said, I'm not expanding, I'm simply, I'm protecting. And these are three separate areas. Now, let's think about this for a quick, a quick second. The area which requires the most amount of understanding is which of those three? Which is the most complicated? 
The second one, right? Because the first one, they were just transmitting. The third one, they were, they were protecting, but it was clearly a protection. We know that this is a fence and this is not the real building, right? This, we know that that's a distance that they created for us. It's the middle one which became more complicated because what they were doing was they were using tools to expand. But you know what? Two people think differently, right? So two people will look at the same thing. They'll use their tools of logic, their tools which are given to us, that toolbox, and they'll expand, but they arrive at different conclusions. So that's where the problem comes in over here. So this is what the, this is what the Mabit, Rav Moshe Trani says in understanding this over here. What's going on, as, as, was, as was mentioned very clearly, is that in the earlier generations, when people try to apply the tools, that we'll call it tier two of Torah Shabal Peh, they expanded their right around certain conclusions, <coughs> but they were, they were a lot closer to clarity because of the times of prophecy. They lived at a time where if they needed to check if their, their interpretation was right, they had somebody they could turn to if it wasn't themselves who actually had a divine connection. They could say, well, did that, was that the right jump? Was that the right expansion? But surely, slow, surely after prophecy disappeared, they no longer had that. So now all they had was logic. And now when you have logic, you have lots of different logics. Right? These are Jews we're talking about after all, right? Um, so what, what, what happened? So the Chachamim started expanding the Torah, and there were disputes. But throughout the entire period of the, first, of the second Beis Amigdash, there was no longer prophecy. How did they know that they were doing the right thing? How was there one Torah? What happened? There's a rule. And the rule is? And the rule is the Torah told us what to do when there's a dispute. The Torah didn't leave things open-ended. The Torah says, <coughs> So therefore, even if there was a dispute as to what to do when expanding and arriving at the right conclusion, the Torah said, <coughs> which means to say the Torah is prescribing the grid. They're all within the grid, which is what, what, what was, was suggested beforehand. So what's happening over here in the, in the, in the case of Tanoshul Achnai? The case of Tanoshul Achnai is where people are utilizing their logic, their, we'll call it, their, their we'll, biblical enculturation of the sum total of all of the Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat the greatest of the greats, who are now saying, how do I derive from all of that? I'm going to distill that into the conclusion in this particular case. And there's a dispute how it goes. What's the problem with Rabbi Eliezer? Rabbi Eliezer over here, in this case, may be 100% right in terms of the truth, the, the, the ultimate <coughs> objective truth in Shemayim. But the problem is, is that in the end of the day, we don't believe that Shemayim has a word in this anymore. That's exactly this principle. We don't, we, you, you could be 100% right in the eyes of heaven. But you know what? Right now, God says, I emptied heaven out and gave it to you. You can't bring carrot trees, water, or even the baskol to now influence the truth of the future. And that, ultimately speaking, it's interesting that that's the danger of what Rabbi Eliezer was doing. The danger of what Rabbi Eliezer was doing was exactly the seeds, Rahman and Litzon, of what a lot of these other people did later on, in a, very, in a much worse way. He was completely <coughs> altruistic in terms of uh, arriving at truth. But think about this. If we start looking at signs to arrive at the right truth and suggest that the heavens really hold the truth which nobody else knows, we can do a lot of things with that. That's the danger. That's why they put him in Cherem afterwards. We talked about what happened after he was put in Cherem. Right, when we talked about Tachanon a few weeks ago. But nonetheless, this, this, this is exactly the point. That's what the Lashonah Shemaim it's, it's the identical match of what the Rambam was talking about in terms of how the Torah is given. They are working within the grid of Torah. I want to conclude with one last application. This, this relates to us as well, and, this is, and with this we'll close. The Nevesh Chaim, Rav, Rav Chaim Velozhina, actually talks about examples of where this applies to us. And he gives an incredible example, which is found in the Gemara in Brachos. We're not going to read this inside, but the, Gemara, the, the, Rav, the Nevesh Chaim talks about the following situation. One of the greats of our history, 
one of the, the, the greatest kings of our history was a man by the name of Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Chizkiyahu HaMelech did, did an amazing, a revolutionary job in the spiritual status of Israel. He, the, the, the education system was such that every child was, was, was versed in Torah of the, at the greatest and most sophisticated level. He really was a, a, an incredible individual. He fought off the hordes of, uh, just by the power of Tefillah, the hordes of Sancherev. Um, he, he saved Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, for many years. Very, very powerful person. Happens to be at one point in his life, there was something he, he made a miscalculation on. And that is, he didn't have children. Why did he not have children? Because he had, a, he had the inkling, he had Ruach HaKodesh, he had a Nevoah, that in fact his child would be a terrible child. And he was absolutely 100% correct. correct. Because he did have a child whose name was Menashe. And Menashe was the sole reason, according to the Sefer Melachim, that this, the first place of Menashe was destroyed. That's how bad his son was. So Chizgiel said, you know what? I can do without that. I'll live a very, a very difficult life in that, in that regard. But I don't want to allow that out into the world. I don't want to allow Menashe out into the world. And he got very, very sick and he was on his, and he was on his deathbed. Because he had an opportunity which he was denying because of his own cheshbonos, because of his playing. And Yeshayahu Anavi comes to him and says that you're going to die. There's no way going back now because you made this cheshbon yourself. And, um, and uh, he's, he's lying there on the deathbed and it's a very fascinating story how he refutes it and he marries Yeshayahu's daughter and, and fixes the situation and even at the most dire moment changes things around. But the, 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 the statement that Yeshayahu makes to him is, Don't play God. Don't think you know the system better than God himself. God gave us a Torah. God told us what to do. If we have the opportunity to be able to do the Torah, we do it. But we don't think, we don't outsmart God. It says the Nefesh HaChaim over here, that's an example of this, of an, of this Ikar. In a, in a, in a, in a we'll call it, I think in a more manageable a more swallowable, a way which we can swallow more easily. And that is, is that sometimes in life we think, yeah, 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 that, that, you know, the Chachomim, they all, they all got it right, except I know the truth. Right? I have happened to have the inside information on this particular deal, and so that's why I'm going to act in this way. Says the Chachomim, be very careful, because that, the, part of this Ikar is, is that Hashem does know best, always. And how do we know that he knows best? Because it is voted upon by the sages who represent him throughout all time. And therefore, if we find ourselves in a position where everybody in the generation is saying one thing and one or two other very smart individuals are saying something else, that's a, usually a good sign that in a lot of cases that there, there's something a little dangerous about that if there was a specific vote on a communal policy of halacha and something is, is changing. That's what the, the Nevesh Chaim is saying. Oh yeah. Not always. There's room for a lot of space. There's a lot of room for a lot of multiculturalism in, a, in our tradition. But when it comes to certain halachic things and there's been a vote and things have, have become very clear, one has to be very careful when one thinks one knows a little better because one, is, uh, one, one has uh, come to a conclusion themselves. Um, this uh, hopefully is the beginning of our, of our Sunday series. Looking forward Hashem, to the la- next four and last Ikarim. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.